Podcast, episode 134, October 28th, 2020. Yeah, yeah Halloween episode. It's, it's nearly a Halloween episode. We might be able to squeeze one in before Halloween. I don't know. We'll you talk. never know, mate. You never know. You never know. It's, it's 40 degrees out here. It's warm. That's true. Uh, and it was yeah. snowing last Warm and week. breezy and 40. It's perfect, yeah. It, it was snowing a few days ago, right? Yeah, the snow melted. <laughs> yeah, just, we've had um, two. Oh, who you know? Who cares about the weather? Right. You know. Right. Who cares about the weather? How, how are things out there weather-wise? Um, they're fine. They're, <laughs> they're beautiful. Um, yeah, it's it's you know we still we still have sun, which is nice for for Portland. So, yeah, forget about the yeah. weather. Let's talk about the music. You're starting. Yeah, I'm going to do. I'm um, three from Massachusetts tonight. Yeah. I'm going to go to the Bay State. And I'm rather stunned that we have not played Volcano Suns, who are such a prominent 80s band. Sure. Um, Mission of Burma, Peter Prescott on drums. Yeah, Peter Prescott's band. Yeah. I think Peter Prescott formed the band. Yeah. Um, the original lineup was uh, Steve Missioner and um, I think I think you pronounce it, Gary Whalick. Um This is... Uh, Homestead Records, right? First yeah. record. Yeah, I believe so. Friday Orange Years. It came out in 1985. And to me, it's like, um, it's very much as mission of Burma-ish as, as Volcano Sun's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like, to me, it sounds like, a, but it's a classic. It's the balancing act by Volcano Sun's.
orange ears. Uh, yeah, so like um, I can't balance and I can't act too well. Nor can I. Can you? No. Yeah. And I. But I mean, like um, to me, that was um, back then in 1985, before. The term indie rock became a thing, right? Sure. There was like a term called college radio rock. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that was like, to me, like, because that's the first, I mean, I'd had a college radio show as a high school student at University of Richmond. Um, but And then I got one at WTJU in Charlottesville. And that was college radio. That was what? 1985 college radio sound like volcano suns whether it be the bright orange years or all night lotus party or bumper crop when bob weston joined the band um of course you're talking peter prescott and that that sounds like it easily could have been a mission of burma song yeah Yeah. um but but that's what college radio rock was yeah um I, i totally hear you and, and, you know, I mean, I think back to that era. This is when I was my mid-teen years. And I didn't really have a good college rock station to kind of, you know, latch on to, to learn this stuff. So I what I was doing at the time to discover this kind of music was reading the back page of Spin, which was Byron Coley's page in Spin. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Where he would mention, like... I mean, but we'd have forced exposures, you know. See, I wasn't even knowledgeable or hip enough to know about that. This is where... Well, it's not about hipness. It's about about an age difference. You were 14 and I was, like, 19. That's right. That's right. And this is where the four years... I mean, if, like, you switch, if you flip flip our ages, then, then... You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. It's it's where, in general, four years between your age and my age doesn't make a difference. But in 1985, it, it totally did. Because, really did, totally did. Yeah, um, and because you were in you were in total discovery mode, which I was in in like you know 81, 82, yeah. and you were that in 85, 86. And I was feeling around in the dark too because. I didn't. You were really, in California. I was in, in California, like, and 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 I didn't really have any like good mentors that I could what, latch what onto. Was, did you have a record store? Uh, sort of, but I was like I didn't really have anybody to guide me through that record store, and so you know, like. I, but did you have a good record store where the stuff was in there? Yeah, I mean, I could find it if I knew to look for it. You know. Like as soon as as soon as I knew, but there's I wanted, no internet. Like people keep people. Keep, it's right. hard for like right. our listeners to get their head around that. Right. Exactly. Because access is so tremendous now. For, like, for sure. For sure. As soon as I knew I wanted to f- buy Sonic Youth records, I had access to them. You know, I could have gone in, but like they're sitting in there, and I had. But no how idea. would you buy? It? But in your particular case, as a 14 year old, how would you buy a Sonic Youth record? I mean, I had record stores that I could go to that stocked them, you know, because that was the other, that was the thing about being in Southern California is there were, in the, that was the weird irony, you know, I mean, you kind of... Would you you road trip to record stores? Oh, yeah, sometimes, for sure, Um, but... Would you get a ride? Because you weren't driving. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 
when I was when I was fourteen or fifteen, maybe less so. I mean, I would ride my bike to the local, more like local one close to where I lived, um, and you know, my friend would buy whatever Husker do, you know, warehouse right or whatever. That's huge. Like, I mean, like, and, and I would huge. buy so, like social distortion prison bound and we would we just because we'd heard something about it and we'd bring it back to his place and we'd put it on and just hang out and be like oh what is you know like or you know we were buying rem records and rem was talking about like these bands that they toured with or they were covering the velvet underground and it was like what does the velvet underground sound like i don't know you buy this record i'll buy this record um, yeah, you buy so, their Dream Syndicate, and I'll buy Gang of Four. Yeah, totally. And so, so the I mean, weird... that's like an amazing, the, the amazing part of the REM story. That so you're, you're right now. You're listening to a 53 year old and a 49 year old. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like REM, who is a band from Athens, Georgia, who at the time, they and even for obviously. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and we had Plan 9 Records, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of bands coming through. And you were in Southern California. You had SST. Yep. Yep. Right? Um, and you had many other things. Many sure. other things. Sure. And Slash. I, you know what? You know. What I had is a lot of really good small record stores that stocked in, in your in your neighbor like in your area so like yeah. you special order stuff i guess if i knew even what to tell them to special order you know but but the Do you thing, have access to fanzines he sort of i mean when i was 15 I mean, not like, so much like, it was you know, it was more like i would go in and i'd be like this cover looks weird or uh I heard this band I like covered, you know, REM and we've talked about it on the show before. REM was like the, the gateway to so many other things, you know, when they're, they're them covering, you know, to bring it back to Peter Prescott, them covering Academy fight song is what yeah. introduced me to mission of Burma. And then right like around how, that. So like, let's talk about a, like a really important thing to you. Like what was your introduction to the Minutemen who are, who, Basically, you're from your part of the country. It was it was basically through Firehose, through someone I went to high school with, who was a fan of the Minutemen, and she, I think, maybe made me a tape of one of the first cool, two like Firehose. Cool, like a tape to tape. Like. Oh yeah, tape to tape. Um, she maybe had. And you're like a, 15. Yeah, she was. Uh, I wonder what she's up to. I haven't seen her in. You know, I was yeah. Well, it was let's hear. Let's hear her name. Marisol Marisol Perez. She was the stepdaughter. Yeah, she was the stepdaughter of um, the principal of the school, um, and she she turned me on to Firehose, and that led me to Minutemen, and you know, uh, it just yeah, it was like that. one one string would lead to another, and you'd keep pulling that thread, and you know you'd. You'd keep discovering more. Have we played Firehose on the show? We have not. Should should I should you know what that we? Sh- I, I've been meaning to play. No, Firehose. but I think I think I I think we should actually dedicate a show since we dedicated a show to Minutemen. We should dedicate a show to Firehose. Okay, let's do that because I would say I would venture to say they are the band 
at least in my college years, I probably saw more than any other band. Yeah, and I saw them four or five times myself. Yeah, I saw them uh, at least 20 to 30 times, if not more. Holy shit, that's a lot of cover. So you, would you follow them around? Uh, kind of. I mean, in the sense that when they would play, I was in college at Santa Clara, which is right near San Jose. So when they would come through, because, yeah. you know, you think of Mike You're Watt. You're a Bronco. Yeah, you think of Mike Watt. I'm a Bronco, that's right. You think of Mike Watt and his Jamicano, uh ethos where they would play 50 shows in 52 days. He would, they would come up from Southern California. They would play Santa Cruz, San Jose, San Francisco. And that's all within a good, you know, maybe an hour drive of me so i would i would go see them in san jose i would see them in santa cruz i would see them in san San francisco so every tour they came through i would see them at least three times um and and you got to know them quite well and yeah and you know yeah Ed crawford like does anybody know what ed crawford's up to oh yeah well yeah so uh, he did you develop a friendship with him no i never really I, i i just knew what I would interview Watt. He was the one that would. Well, um, Watt's like you know the friendliest guy in the world, right? Yeah. So I would, uh, you know, at in co- in College Radio KSCU at Santa Clara, I would interview Watt every time. Pretty not every time, but a lot of the times they would come through. Um, it's your college radio when you had a college radio show. Yeah, it was. Uh, what was my college radio show called? Or. What was yours called? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really have a name for it. It was just like you know, I was like DJ Mike. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before. I didn't really have a DJ name. Yeah, yeah. Um, mine was the Dolphin Field. I think I've talked about that. The yet. Dolphin Field. Uh, so, so yeah. So you I. Know would, what that is? I don't. What is it? Look it up. Man. It's a it's a meat puppet. It's a okay. very noisy meat puppet song. Oh, oh yeah 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 sure. Sure. The Dolphin Field. Um, but uh, I'm just saying, like you know, who would know that? Like you know, it's boring but, information. But but yeah, but no, got... I'm enjoying this discussion. Ed Crawford, like I think that'd be like a really good documentary. Let's find out what Ed Crawford's up. Well, to. here's the thing. So recently, a friend of his. I see you know. Kind of recently, a friend of his posted a GoFundMe for Ed, who's I think had some hard times. Oh, he's in he's in Pittsburgh. He's been unemployed. I think he's kind of been living out of his car. I think, you know, he may have some, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know the story, but I definitely know he's sort of down on his luck. And, um, you know, so hopefully, I don't know it well enough. To I'm going to figure out, we'll figure out a way through what to get in touch with him. Why we'll but be in touch with him. Yeah, I mean, I even have uh, friends. You, I bet your buddy's the go to beds, you know, because he's he's in Pittsburgh. Yeah, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a way to get in touch with Ed. So, all right. But uh, anyways, but, but yes, said from Ohio. I mean, we played. I play a volcano sun song. It branches into this. <laughs> That's right. Um, um, we will do a fire hose feature sometime soon. And. Um, yeah, we should do. Yeah, we'll when we'll get in touch with um, Ed from Ohio and uh, Ed Crawford, and we'll take it from there. We, um, well, you know, so we got a project on our hands. We've got a we, we've got a GoFundMe. On, we, we do. Um, and, and I'm laughing about it. It's I'm, like, you know, I'm I'd never do that. You know, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. I'm gonna stay, I guess, in the '80s sort of punk rock, college rock world. This is a little more raw. 
I guess, than... No, you're playing, like, total, like, really intense garage music. Yeah, garage like, punk. Which, when you say garage rock, that's kind of like, to me, it's like pure rock and roll. Yeah. So, I'm going to play the Gories. We haven't played the Gories on the show before, but I think... Detroit. It might, it might, Detroit, that's right. It, I might have played, or actually Jack might have played the Dirt Bombs when you were unavailable, and and my buddy Jack sat in. Probably this time last year. Mm, Longer than that. A couple years ago, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, the Gories, trio, two guitars and drums, and their lead guitarist and main singer was Mr. Mick Collins, who was also in, uh, boy, the Screws, the Dirt Bombs, Blacktop, um, just a fantastic guitarist and rock and roll music. Man. Rock and roll. One of I would also say one of the few black men in indie rock, college rock, punk rock, um, but an amazing guitarist, an amazing singer. So let's do it from their first record called House Rockin', 1989. This one's called I Think I've Had It. It's the Gories. So, enjoy. like the song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that could have been 1962. So it, could, it could have been, but you know, I mean, right? It's pretty wild. Um, no bass. You know, I mean, it's in a way that's kind of lo-fi, right? But 
It's a spank and three piece. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, talk about precursor, I think, to the White Stripes, but, like, even more insane than the White Stripes, right? You know, no Yeah, bass. I mean, like, in the case of White Stripes, I mean, they were kids when they got started, so, like, who knows what they were into. Well, I mean, they were from Detroit uh, as well. I, I imagine. I, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. They probably played shows with the Gories. Yeah, you know? and I'm sure the Gories influenced the White Stripes. No doubt. I would like to think so. Yeah. And, and a thousand, like, every band has a hundred influences. Yeah. Yeah. I would think. I mean, but some bands have, like, nine. Um, <laughs> right. Who knows? Right. Um, um, but, yeah, no, it's like, to me, that's, like... Very determined, proper, like, full-on party, like, best scene live garage rock. Absolutely. I would like to note, that's from their first album, House Rock, in 1989. Their second album has, I think, one of the best album titles of any record I know, which is, I Know You Fine, But How You Doing? Oh, I like that, yeah. Can't miss with that. And I think they probably had a imagine spirit amazing spirit you know yeah yeah and you know and mick mick is uh still making music dirt bombs i mean i've seen them live uh, great band they're especially the ultra ultra glide in black lp which is primarily covers um is an instant party you put that record on it's like instant party right there yeah, that's the thing. You know, that, that music is instant party. That's why it's best seen live. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think I think I'd like to th- I'd like to um, I don't know who recorded that, but um, Steve Shaw to capture name. that. Steve Shaw, good old Steve Shaw. Yeah. Um, to capture that, like without staining it with overproduction. So like, you get everything that's right on there. Everything that's like you know '60s about that. Everything right. that's like, banging about that, crazy about that. And you can hear the words and everything about that is just like banging yeah so it's like you don't suck the life out of it by like keeping it in this like tiny little space like the highs and the lows are everywhere yeah and it just it just spanks Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and it's the sort of thing that is best heard loud turn it up yeah live loud live live. like yeah again we've talked i think in the last you know 20 episodes about our concerns about live music. Um, and, you know, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, that's kind of, um, people say the new normal, like, we'll have to just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Right. Um, we'll get there. You know, I'm calm. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. So anyways, um, I'm going to, I guess I'll do sort of a bit of a gear shift. I'm going to go to, um, I'll stick in the Bay state. The Dresden Dolls. It's a it's a genre with which I was unfamiliar, although to me it's like very much like kind of in like a certain era of like the Bad Seeds, you know, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds mm-hmm. type band. Um, band started in two thousand. Amanda Palmer and Brian Viglione, and um, it's off a self titled album, two thousand four. This is the Dresden Dolls. It's a, it's, I think it's officially the genre is called the underground dark cabaret mo- movement. 
And this song's called Missed Me.
like the theatrical music yeah i mean i guess the adjective i would use and i don't mean this in the negative sense because often it's seen as such it makes me think the word melodrama right like well yeah it's it's fantastic keep in mind that's like was put out in 2004 on roadrunner which i think is like a heavy metal label kind of yeah yeah, it's like a departure for them, and like, and it's a band that's like only made two albums. And like, apparently, it's a two piece. Wow. And like, she plays a toy piano, and like, he does the percussion. Like, and he's very. I'd love to see them live. I sure. Mean, Are you familiar with much of her stuff? Because I've I've heard a little bit of the Amanda Palmer solo stuff. Um, no, I have not heard much. She has this song. She's got a great voice. She does. Um, she has this song called A Mother's Confession that is like a 10-minute-long song basically about being a parent and all these things that you did that you regret as you're learning how to navigate being a parent. And it's, um, for those of us with kids, I think especially young I'm a corgi kids, dad. I'm a corgi yeah. dad. <laughs> it's like... Very relatable, um, and it's, I don't it's, know really because like it's kind of easy being a corgi dad. It's it's pretty over the top. I mean, and it's ten minutes long, so like I've thought about playing it on the show, but it's also it's it's quite a commitment, right? Um, so maybe I won't play it on the show, but I'll just mention it. Go check out Amanda Palmer's A Mother's Confession. It's intense. It's good. Let's check her out in general. She's great. She is. And that, the, the Dresden Dolls, their, their original band name, which I guess was nixed at some point, was Out of Arms. Out of um, Arms. Which I, Out of Arms, yeah. Huh. But uh, yeah, that's all beside the point. Anyways, I, I just, I, I dig that. You know, to me, it's like Halloween music. So like, yeah, uh, for sure. I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a Halloween playlist, and like that'll be on there for sure. Could, because I you could, can dance too. You can dance. You could like even you and I can dance to that like really slowly. Yeah. You can you can fake waltz. Like, yeah, I mean it's you know. like you know that kind of Marlena Dietrich. Uh, yeah, you know. that's a great mention. Yeah. Um, even even a little like Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? You know, is that all there is to yeah. a fire? Right. Like that. If that's all there is, let's just keep dancing. Uh, yeah. Keep so, moving. Keep moving. Um, now, now, what's your Halloween plan? Well, no, there's no trick or treat. Got the nippers. You got not the really, nippers. not really like, any trick or treat. You know, probably. Yeah, there's no trick or treat this year. Just, I, I bought like a thing of like I. And could, I live in a neighborhood, um, just like when I lived in Louisville for many years, where, you know, pretty inner city. So we just kind of put the bowl of candy out. People knock on the door, that yeah. kind of thing. But like. And in this town, they have, like, they celebrate kind of the night before. And trick-or-treating has totally changed. Like, yeah. when I was a kid, and when you were a kid, like, what was your trick-or-treating experience? Like, did you ever have, like, did you get around? Like, and 
Uh, do you do that kind of thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like. I, I know California's different. Yeah, you know, I would run around to the neighborhood houses, knock on doors. Like, I think there's now more of a we will drive to certain neighborhoods and trick-or-treat in those neighborhoods. That was never my experience. It was just like, this is where I am. I'm going to go. My friends and I are going to go from door to door. We're going to get as much candy as we can. Yeah. And we're going to be done with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like you'd go out from like, and your parents would cut you loose. I remember yeah. being in Fairfield, Connecticut, and when I was like a kid, like, um, I say like 11, and... I made a costume out of a cardboard box. That was a Ballantine beer can. <laughs> okay. And I like painted it with spray paint and stuff. And I did my best to like design myself like the Ballantine beer can. And I went out in a cardboard box and I noticed that every like kind of like household that I showed up on their porch they were like, this kid's a beer can. <laughs> and they just like, they just filled. I used to, we used to have just like um, pillow sacks. <laughs> right. And like, right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That's, that's, I remember carrying a pillow sack. Yeah. In pillow sacks and we just fill it to the top. Yeah. And like, yeah. And my sister one year like went around as as like with a can as a as some like as an oil woman. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. I so I have Which is very interesting. three quick Halloween stories to tell. Uh one three quick ones. Three quick ones. Hey wit. We're telling hey, Halloween stories. Hey, hey guys, yeah. what's up? We're telling Halloween stories. In New York. Yeah. Nice. City. Uh, We're talking about Halloween. What's your best Halloween costume? Oh, I do though. I'm gonna be a tomato. Yeah. It's gonna be a tomato this year. Yeah, she's got a great tomato. And tomato I found wit. a like gun that makes sound, so I'm be a killer tomato. Yeah, yeah that'll be good for you, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's a little wit move. I grew up down the street from the guy who went on. He was a couple years younger than me, who went on to be the singer for Harvey Danger. <laughs> do you know? Do you remember them? Whoa. Flagpole Sitta. Yeah. One year, one year, I I trick or treated with with Sean Nelson, who you trick or treated with people. I trick or treated with Sean Nelson of Harvey Danger, later of the Har- Harvey Danger and the Long Winters. Um, I'll drink to that. I was a pirate. I can't remember what he was. So Every, everybody was a pirate. I was a pirate was that year. I was a pirate that year, and and so the story goes, there was a a photo of me. Um, later, years later, you know, when I was in college and was started the label, he was at University of Washington and did a profile on Little Brother and the Minutemen tribute. And when we talked about, because he was at um, the whatever the University of Washington school paper was, so he he wrote it up in there. And when we talked, he mentioned that there's a photo of me as a pirate in his parents' house from our trick-or-treating time. time. So Fantastic. That, um, and then the second story I have is, like you, I once went uh, with a costume as a box. My mother created a Rubik's Cube out of a like an old Whoa, appliance box. Fantastic. Yeah, like drew the Rubik's Cube, you know, like painted the different colors. The problem was 
she just cut holes like just circles for the arms and i was too little for my arms to like go down <laughs> so my arms stuck out like she should have cut ovals so my arms could have like gone down to my side that cost you and the candy supply. yeah and so i'm like carrying my candy like out at nearly a right angle um yeah. as i'm walking along and of course this is just audio so you don't see me but i am i am like holding my arms out perpendicular or parallel to the ground um as i say this you know not that it helps with the visual but um and then and then the third story later when i was in high school it was it might have been the last year i trick-or-treated it was a really like ridiculously rainy night and my friends and I... Oh, that's a shame. Oh, uh, it was a total shame, but my friends and I didn't have costumes. And we were like, we're going to go out trick-or-treating anyway. And oh, th- the uh, fact that we were basically like you, completely drenched in the rain and nobody else was out, like people felt sad for us and they gave us all kinds of candy because they were also finding that nobody else was coming to their door because it was it was that miserable so right there you go anyway so i'm gonna tell you a great trick-or-treating story after you play your next song okay continue this conversation let's do it um i'm going to go to kent england I'm You're gonna, gonna go to Kent. I'm gonna go to Kent. Chath Chatham. I'm with the Kent Comet. John MacArthur, my best friend. Usually I'm in Kent right now with my best friend John MacArthur. Yeah, so I'm gonna play a legend. Yeah, the Kent Comet. I would say I would say that Mick Collins is a bit of a legend from the Gories. You know, Amanda Palmer is a bit of a legend. You played you played her. Peter Prescott. Yeah, it's night. Legends. It's this is legend show. You kick it up a notch. Uh, I'm gonna play Billy Childish. Billy Childish has been making music for over forty years. He started in 1979. The Renaissance man. Yeah, 1979 with the Pop Rivets. Their their debut record in 1979 was called Greatest Hits. I mean, how punk is that? (laughs) Your first record, you call it Greatest Hits. Um, Might as well. He was in the Headcoats. He's uh, well, the head coach, the head coach, the head um, the milkshakes. He's been around forever, and he's still making music. In fact, I'm going to play something from uh, an album that he put out. He's last a year. child. He is a child. Uh, he's a His poet. His name is Billy Childish. He's a he's poet. Only like he's nine a painter. Years older than me. Yeah, he's he he's a kid. He's not that much older than either of us, uh, and he's still going strong. So this is from... The National Treasure in England. From The Last Punk Standing. And the, the other nice thing about Billy is he's always collaborated with women. I mean, he had the Delmonas, he had the Head Coatees, which had Holly Golightly, who's gone on to do quite a bit of a solo career herself. Um, and he's he's got this group now called uh, T... Uh, sorry, CTMF, which stands for chatham forts or something like that or it's short for chatham oh, no, dude. i don't know but um yeah the ctmf and uh from their album last punk standing um he's he's the You're bassist, talking like the last couple of years it came out last year the the bassist is a woman named yeah. julie hamper in the band she goes by juju and she also sings this one so she wrote this one she sings this one it's called perfect the used to be 
from Wild Billy Childish in the CTMF. They used to. I should do now. I thought you wanted. Yeah, I thought you were gonna double bubble. Um, yeah, maybe I'll play another one from that same record. Um, title track. Yeah, you said you were gonna do the last punk standing. I did. I said it. I said it prior to the show, and I, I will. I will keep my word. This is one Billy. Well, sings. keep in mind. Keep in mind, like when we preface the show, it's like a, about a six-minute conversation. Hey, that's how you true. doing? Hey, that's how true. you doing? And it's and you say I might double bubble this. I like, say you know. I say I might. You know, and yeah. So yeah, thanks for keeping me honest and holding me to it. Um, this one is yeah, is kind of like you know Billy singing stand top of your game and um yeah it mentions Marky Smith and and others <laughs> um and you know Billy is basically saying he's going to be the last punk standing which he might be very well right so here you go the other con- the other Kent comment that that that's right here you go Billy Billy and the CTMF. <laughs>
I nominate Billy Childish. He he will likely as the last be. funk standing. That's right. He will likely be. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to. He argue described that. his father, John Hamper, as a complex sociopathic narcissist. Interesting. He um, was, was arrested many times as a drug smuggler when he was a teen. Uh, so, um, so that woman singing yeah. and playing bass is Julie Hamper. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and guess that that is his wife i don't even know his dad was uh, could be his sister who the hell knows yeah no, i don't know the family history it's, it's entirely possible um yeah one one of the who other. knows how it works in kent mate that's I mean, right that's know. right um but billy going strong you know and and he's i think somehow he's only 60 you know yeah he's been He's been celebrated to an extent, you know. He's had some records on Sub Pop, and they did a a, oh, yeah. a, a compilation for the record industry. Double, double, yeah, for sure. D- uh, double LP um, or double CD. You're like bringing the Garage Rock Night Gories and Billy Childish. Like, That's right. I you're am. in Halloween mode. I am. Um, but you, you know, want to see some live? You want to see some? Wild, I do. Wild they they would want. both be li- amazing live bands. But I, I feel like he's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the kids today really know Billy Childish. Well, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't really, doesn't. you know, they'll get to know him. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. They'll get that's an team. interesting concern of yours. Like, when will the kids catch up? They'll catch up. <laughs> right. I mean, like, you know, uh, they should. It's catch not up. even our job to do it. You no. know, no. So I mean, they'll figure out what they like, you know. I mean, that's, like, that's right. They could like, you know, Billie Eilish more than Billie Childish. <laughs> that's true. I don't even know what the connection is. And I'm sure know, they like, do. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if, like, Billie Eilish even is aware of Billie Childish. No, no I mean, she, she didn't even know Van Halen, so there's no way she knows Billie Child. Or, yeah. So. Maybe they should make an album together. It might help both of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's beside the point. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick in the base state. Uh, these are in the, in this case like serious close personal friends of mine: Peyton Pinkerton, Matt Hunter, uh, Sharpie. This is like later era. JJ O'Connell on the drums on this piece. Caleb on the bass. This is uh, New Radiant Storm Kings. Uh, they met at Hampshire College in the early '90s. And this is a band that I never would have enjoyed these friendships over the last 25, 30 years of my life. It wasn't for David Berman. Sure. And he was going to grad school at UMass. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, like, I would say that 
of the bands that have stayed in my houses over the years. Um, New Meridian Storm Kings, like, even here in Des Moines, in apartments, even when we got this house, um, I remember, I'll tell you the story afterwards, but I want to play their song. This is off a fantastic album they made on Darla Records, 2008, Drinking in the Moonlight. And I love the, love the whole theme of the song. And it's like something that um, I experience quite often after the after hours.
Storm King. The Iridium Storm Kings, man. Uh, kings. Kings? Oh, I thought I did not think that there was a plural in the end. Could have been. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. No, you're right. Um, so help me connect the dots. So they're a band that I'm certainly aware of. I, I, I remember them. Yeah, Iridium Storm, you're right, you're right. I so have. Iridium Storm King, but I like, I'll call them the Kings. That's fair. 20 years. That's fair. Um, I have, of course, the seven. Another band that blew pavement off the stage at least four times. (laughs) Every band you've played has blown pavement off the stage at some point or other. No, not all of them, but like forty percent at least. (laughs) Um, so I have the seven-inch, the Silver Jews split. Um, and I'm familiar with some. Oh, they did a great seven-inch split with Paul, though. Yeah, right. I have that too. I'm familiar with um, yeah. some of their earlier work, but they're a band that I don't know all that well. Help me connect the dots between. Obviously, they were friends with David and Silver Jews. Oh, Peyton, then, Peyton would play guitar in Silver and Jews. Played live. later, played guitar in Silver Jews, and then what, what's the connection with the Pernice Brothers? Oh, I think they both played in that about Hunter and Peyton. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So all kind know. of the Kevin same Guthrie scene. Kevin Guthrie was their tour manager. All friends, all kind of in the same area, just reliable sharing, touring guys, sharing band members. Okay, cool. Professionals. I, I don't think we've played the Pernice Brothers on the show, and maybe we should. We'll have to invite Guthrie on for that. Okay, I'll invite yeah. the Guthrie on for that. Yeah, do it. Um, now the other thing I wanted to make sure we do. Uh, I want to circle back to prior to me playing Billy Ch- Childish. You said you were going to tell another Halloween story. Oh, I can't remember which one at this point. <laughs> uh, oh, about a costume. oh no, my father. Oh, back <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah, living in Rochester, New York, when I was like um, a little kid, okay, like five, six years old. Yeah, I lived across the street from the Walker Brothers, not oh, wow. the famous Walker. Brothers. Oh, okay, <laughs> not Scott yeah, Walker. Gordon Walker. Okay, they were like kids. I was living on four four Sewood Lane in Pittsburgh, New York, outside of Rochester, right? My father was working for the Rochester Telephone Company, and like we would carve our pumpkins. And um, my father um, took jack o' lanterns very seriously. Okay, and the kids would smash the pumpkins. The Walker kids they were they would listen to like um, I, th- I think they were really into like now that the smoke is clear and I've kind of like figured it out over the years. I think they were mostly listening to like Rolling Stones and and Creedence Clearwater Revival and The Who and stuff. But like they were rock and roll kids and they were teenagers. Like in in this case, we're talking like 1972, 73. Yeah. So they were like probably doing drugs and Mm -hmm. they would spray paint the roads and they would go all around this little lower middle class neighborhood in Rochester and smash all the pumpkins. Right. (laughs) And my father would like, would like, he came up with this idea with fishing line to string all the pumpkins together. And he would know when the Walker kids were going to turn up, like usually like around 10 and like clear the pumpkins off our porch. And he had like this elaborate setup with fishing line and belts and just for fun, because he was a great athlete, my dad. Mm-hmm. He died um, in 2011 and um, at the age of 74. And he would just enjoy waiting for the moment. So I remember, like, 
being a kid, and I'd be like, not even knowing what time it was, obviously, like, I mean, Teddy knows what time it is, but like back in, because back when I was Teddy's age, you mm-hmm. started off the show with a Teddy intro. I did. And, and I remember my father looking out the window, waiting for these kids to show up to smash our, like, my sister's two years and two months older than me. <laughs> exactly. Mary. And like, we'd have these jack-o'-lanterns on the porch. And it was, I, I come from like a holiday family, um, you know, and Halloween's a big holiday. Sure. And it's a big holiday. F- and and carving the pumpkins was a huge part of my growing up. And he so he he knew he had he had like systems and, and like two years in a row he nailed these kids <laughs> grabbing these pumpkins and he would chase them down the street and they would throw the pumpkins in the air so terrified. They knew where they were so nailed. They tried to get them the next year. <laughs> and he got them twice. He got them twice. He didn't, he didn't do anything to them. He just scared them. This was know, his sport. With a mask right? on. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you would just chase them out the house. Yeah. And like they were just like, I'm sure they were high and stuff. And like <laughs> it kind of like was this way of like sending a message, like, you know, like, I guess, like, just don't mess with our household sort of thing. But, like, I think it's actually probably enjoyed knowing him as well as I did. It was his own way of saying, like, he kind of appreciated their attempts. But he was, like, his own way of, like, presenting his own weird wall. And um, it was fun for him to be, like, whatever he was at the time, like, 35, like, scaring 16 year olds you know <laughs> maybe he maybe he thought and, he was in straw dogs defending his his house from the yeah no it's just like no yeah but who knows like you know i don't think he was scared i think it was part of his fun but there was like little bells strung and there's fishing line it was very elaborate technique and like he was drinking and um he was just having fun like he's like here come the walker boys i like, oh, i've got him i've got him i've got him i've got him <laughs> Yeah, and there's no lights. There's no like, um, like the lights would be turned off, like the exterior lights on the house, and just, just so just the pumpkins were lit, and like it, his pumpkin carving process was amazing. Like he would do like elaborate designs. He would like, you know, mm. lots of teeth. Mm-hmm. Do you carve a pumpkin? Not well. <laughs> I I have. Well, but we not well. We've had like many, like the biggest parties we've ever had at this house on this porch where I sit right now are pumpkin carving parties. We haven't had one in a few couple of years now, but we had like seven or eight in a row with 20 or 30 people back here. And, you know, regardless of the weather, and there'd be like a contest winner, there'd be all kinds of prizes and stuff like that. Actually, like pretty recently, like, uh, but I mean, it's just one of those things. Anyways, yeah, you know, yeah, fun. Yeah, anyways, I miss the old nest. Fun, and times. I actually would like to say this about New Radiant Storm Kings, or New Radiant Storm King, as you corrected me rather accurately. Um, Peyton Pinkerton, who's uh, lived with me in Nashville for six weeks, um, we were getting ready for the first Silver Juice tour. Um, he he justifiably fell in love with Mr. Twinkles, um, the first corgi I ever owned, mm. and um. He and his wife Anne are 
are huge Corgi fans. They have at least two or three. Reese, I think, is their oldest one. And, like, uh, they're Corgi lovers. They're that's, Corgi lovers. That's great. Yeah. How can yeah. you not be? Um, I, I have a question for you. You may not know the answer. It's okay if you don't. But the name of the band, there is in upstate New York, I know they're, I know they're from Boston or from uh, Amherst, right? UMass. Um, in upstate New York, there is an open kind of artist collective open space uh, park called Storm King. Are they at all named after that? Is the Storm King from their band name connected at all to the Storm King, Storm King in upstate New York? I wouldn't know, but I would not be surprised. Okay. I mean, because Storm King, the space in upstate New York, is pretty amazing and pretty cool. It's just this big, open, I don't know how many acres, let's say a couple hundred acres, of rolling hills with just these weird sculptures peppered throughout the landscape. And you just go hang Sounds out. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. No, put a link up. Put a link up with this podcast so you know, people sure. can get in. Sure. I mean, you know, anybody that is in the Northeast and certainly in upstate New York. It's raising not, up a bumper crop. It's not far from um, West Point. You know the the uh, oh yeah, been there, been yeah. there. So it's pretty clo- pretty close to West Point. Um, oh, yeah. that's not even that too far upstate. That's just like hundred miles up the right. It's before you get to Saratoga. Yeah, that, you know? for sure, exactly. It's on the way to Saratoga. Um, the know, famous Army Navy game this year will be right. held in West Point instead of Philadelphia. Couple couple hours. These are drive. things that you don't know. That's right. These are things I don't know. Um, things so, you don't care about. You've talked about Louisville. I'm going to go back to Louisville. I'm going to go back to a kind of formative this record. This is like a long this is a long podcast, isn't it? Uh, uh, maybe not as long as some of them, but yeah, we're getting there. It's um, my fault. It's my fault. That's my okay. Fault. We're talking yeah. a lot. That's good, though. Uh, I want to play a song from an album that came out in 1993. Um, and this was an album that really helped open me up to different sounds and um, just like kind of but musical. About Serpentine Similar? Exploration, yeah. Serpentine Similar on Teen Beat Records, Gaster Del Sol, their first album, yeah. David Grubbs, um, after Slint. After, well, wait, was David, he wasn't in Slint, right? He was never in Slint. He was never in Slint, no. but He's he was. squirrel bait. Right, right. Post squirrel bait, post bastro. Um, Bastro. That's right. In the Louisville scene, um, I picked up this record, and I don't know if I'd heard anything quite like it. It almost felt like now I would describe it as indie rock filtered through Prague. Um, But... uh, yeah, it just it, it had a really strong impact on me and it's a record that I still go back to and still like ultimately like really, really enjoy. So I wanted to play a song from it, end the show with it. Um nineteen ninety three Gastrodel Soul, Serpentine Similar. This one's called For Ser and Mueller and it's it's nice, I love this one, yeah. Nice I do little, know this one. Nice little instrumental. 
It's instrumental, but like tells a story.
David Grubbs, Gaster Del Sol. Yeah, like Jim O'Rourke. Jim O'Rourke, that's true. Uh, I, think he, I think he also, John McIntyre was in the band at some point. I think he was playing drums, drums on that song, right? Yeah, yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just... Thoroughly just, drag city, isn't it? You know. Uh, yeah, but... You know that. Did I ever, was... did I ever tell you when I met when I met David Grubbs? I, I mean, I saw Squirrel Bait like at the New Horizons Cafe. You you may the have reggae club I mentioned on the previous show. You what you've um, what you've told me is that he just wanted to talk. You wanted to talk horse racing because he was from Louisville, and he wanted to talk Russian literature. Boy, well, come over to my house. <laughs> um, but uh and i love grubs i mean but i met him when i was and he's i think about three or four weeks my junior okay um so your twinsies yeah i'm an early virgo he's a late virgo you can make whatever <laughs> you want of that but um when i went to college on my 18th birthday and he went to georgetown and i went to university of virginia and my roommate would circumstantially it was a guy named Jeff Dukes who's still one of my best friends and one of my favorite people in the whole world and and he had his two best friends from Nashville where he's from were named Tommy Outlaw and Bill Crook Outlaw and Crook yeah yeah (laughs) And, and his name's Jeff Dukes okay so I've been in college for like nine weeks and like we go to DC. So he's just going up there to party with his friends. As it turns out circumstantially, cause this is all like draw cards. Like um, you get put in dorm rooms with people, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's like, Jeff Dukes is my roommate. And like, I don't know him from Adam. And I don't know if I've ever told the story about when he showed up at college, but that's so boring. I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> um, it's actually not boring, but time is tight, as that brilliant Clash instrumental on Black Market Clash would say. Um, Booker T. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Booker T and the MGs. Yeah, time is tight, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, get nice correction, Mikey. And uh, so anyways, so Tommy Outlaw, who's... Jeff Dukes' best friend is also going to Georgetown. As it turns out, his roommate, David Grubbs. Ah. So I've gone up there, and I've gone up there for one reason, and that's to see The Cure. Okay. They're playing in some theater, right? Yeah. A very formidable night. I have to mark it down, like, in my personal life history. But, like, so I walk in. I meet Tommy Outlaw. He's a great guy. Okay, and Grubbs is in there, and like he's already turned this dorm room into a loft, and like there's squirrel bait flyers all over the walls, you know. And keep in mind, this is 1985. Okay, sure. And this guy's already kind of a legend, so like Allah's like, tell me, Allah's like, yeah, my roommate is like already a punk rock legend. You know, <laughs> and he was, he yeah, was, sure. And it's like, and so he grabs, like, he just kind of like said hi and like left the room, you know, like that kind of thing, which is fine, you know. Yeah. And that, you know, it was just, 
it was an amazing experience. Like it's like even like meeting like Ivan Kralkamp at Yale when I visited <laughs> my friend Jay Tobler. You yeah. know, sure. It's like this is the guy that introduced me to the pocket tea. <laughs> I mean, like it's almost like meeting like Mike McGonagall, like at Maxwell's, like at, yeah, you know yeah. that that kind of thing. So. Um, anyways, it's all beside the point, but Grubbs, um, is brilliant. I, He's I, brilliant. Speaking of, I got a record today from Mike McGonigal, strange, strangely enough. Small world. What, what'd you get? Uh, a gospel record. Um, cause he's been doing a lot of gospel stuff. So it's pretty cool. He's living in Detroit. He's living he in Detroit. He is. He's living in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, doing reissuing old gospel records and Fantastic. newer gospel records. Affordable. Yeah, very cool. Of course, of the Chemical Imbalance fanzine, um, which oh, may... Oh, come on now. That may have been with the... The best fanzine ever. The issue I mean, with... Conflict's great. Right. The issue with My First Mind, the Pavement song, might have been the first time I heard Pavement, maybe? I don't know. Good song. De- debatable. True. Good song. All right. Good song. Play it. Play it. Uh, play it. Play it. A future future show. All right. You, want well, me, yeah, you really off. want me to play? You want me to play Pavement right now? Want me to end with Pavement? Yeah, play Pavement. My first mind. Yeah. Pa- yeah. Okay. Because right. also like Karen Ablaze, like it would have been the first thing over there. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll end with this. Yeah. I'm just. I'm. We're, we're gonna end the show. You and I won't yeah, talk why not? afterwards. Why not? Why not? Episode one thirty four. Not not a lucky number for me. That's okay. But one plus three equals four. So there you go. My first mind. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Till next time. I guess it's
Ephraim, Ohio, Gary Young. Indeed. Good night, all.